Well, now, having said all that, we must say that in a normal company of believers, the, brother, the brothers will be more in evidence in the gatherings than the sisters. Now, of course, you're all going to say, oh, Dad, we don't quite see that. But I think it's so in a normal gathering. Uh, on the whole, now, I know that there are great exceptions to this matter, but on the whole, men have got stronger voices. They're not only more aggressive, but they've got stronger voices. And I once said before, we know, of course, there are exceptions. There are those sisters who have voices like foghorns <laughs> and can be heard at the top of the garden. But generally speaking, uh, uh, women have got much softer voices and are quieter. Uh, therefore, in a normal gathering, uh, moving as it ought to move, the brothers would be more in evidence. But the sisters will be their influence and their presence will be very much uh, a, rea a reality. Well, now then, uh, two great necessities. Uh, to be aware of Satan's devices in this matter. That's the first thing. To bring the spirit, here's one device, to bring the spirit and outlook of the age into the church, bringing in the end, darkness, death, and disorder. And that's what's happening. The whole spirit of the age is coming in. And so people have a collision with the Word of God. Instead of recognizing that the Word of God understands the makeup of men and women better than any modern psychologist. And has enumerated principles upon which men and women can live together in harmony. All the murmuring, all the trouble comes from these other things that are come in and influence us. We would only allow the Word of God to do its real work in us and deliver us from the false conceptions. We understood what it really said. We'd be okay. Another device to play on the natural divisions in, the, in human beings, in the human race, and thus produce bitterness, recrimination, and inhibition. There are natural divisions. For instance, um, uh, a while ago, a girl came to me with a lovely coffee-colored skin, and she said to me, of course, you know, uh, uh, there, there is definitely a color bar. Now, I've never known a colour bar in the company of any kind. How can you put it over to someone who's got a whole background of colour bar that there is no colour bar? I remember in the company uh, board when I spoke uh, in Alsace, where there were the two languages, the two uh, 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 Bilingual people were not actually bilingual, but the company was in a sense bilingual, German and French. The pastor said to me when we were talking about problems, um, uh, he said to me, the greatest problem in this company is that if I dare to give one minute more in French in a gathering, I had trouble for a month. If, for instance, you speak and I translate you first in French and then in German, but I take 20 minutes in French and only 10 or 15 minutes in German, I'm in trouble. And all the age-old bitterness of background comes up. Discrimination, discrimination, discrimination. Now, this is what the devil does on this matter of sex. He brings the, 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 the war of the sexes into the church and plays on this kind of business. This is the whole trouble when you get this thing. All the brothers, all the brothers. All the brothers can say, no, this is this thing is something, how can we answer it? Only positively. By refusing to accept such a barrier, as it says, there is neither male nor female in Christ. 
to make this matter the scapegoat for all our own frustrations, complexes and inhibitions uh, and thus escape reality. That's another way. Uh, you know, we've all got to find a scapegoat. I said to someone when we were talking this morning, well, I said, you know, it's very interesting. All the sisters blame the brothers. But what about the brothers? Not all the brothers take part. Because the brothers can't blame anybody. So they blame the atmosphere. <laughs> well, they said, oh, it's very heavy, very difficult. It'd be very interesting, you know, if we could get this thing and you were all men, you sisters. You'd suddenly find you've got exactly the same problem, and yeah, you haven't got a scapegoat. You couldn't say all the time, oh, it's the brothers, it's the brothers. It's a man's place, this. Not allowed to do this, not allowed to do that. It's nonsense, isn't it? I, I think there's a, a device uh, there. Um, now, and lastly, the need to experience this spirit and the cross. There are only two ways in which we can overcome all these problems, uh, sisters, and that is for the spirit to fill us and thus free us from all those matters which limit and inhibit wrongly. And secondly, the cross to deal with all disorder and usurping of authority, bringing us to a recognition of our place and our function. In this, we shall have joy. Now, questions, quickly. Let me go to questions. How, firstly, has a woman really no part in the ministering of the Lord's word at all? 1 Timothy 2.12 is paraphrased as I never let women teach me or lord it over uh, me. Let them be silent in your church meetings. In a place like Halford House, where there are many brothers to lead and teach, yes, this can be so. But what happens in the missions overseas, where often the sisters are the only ones where to teach, uh, there to teach even the men? Surely there cannot be such a dogmatic view that women should not teach men. Or does this teaching only apply to a situation where both men and women are already believers? Now, that's a very good question. We have to go further. I would go further in answering this. I would say to this that church history has produced some extraordinary teachers who were women. Mrs. Ben Lewis was, I suppose, one of the most extraordinary teachers in church history. She wasn't, she wasn't, it wasn't just preaching. She had an absolute gift for teaching. And vicars, ministers, pastors flocked to her conferences to get instruction. Well, now, there's a problem, isn't it? And uh, I think of quite a few others who are extraordinary teachers, not just preachers or evangelists. Oh, the Marachal, for instance, she was an evangelist. Now, we can sort of get out of that one. Um, and there are others that we can uh, say, well, we can explain that, we can explain that, but we can't explain the teachers. I've got, we've got two or three books in the library by uh, uh, ladies who were real teachers. And you've got others like Ruth Paxson, and uh, others who followed on after that, they were real teachers. Now, what can we say about this? Well, now, first of all, obviously, men, let us face it all, and this may be a joy to all the sisters, men have miserably failed. When you take the great, the, the great call, the great commission, it is the women who have answered. They've gone to the ends of the earth, the women, but you see, what God does in a period of disorder is not necessarily what God really wants. Uh, for instance, Deborah led the people of God. She was not only a prophetess, she was like Moses. She actually led the people of God. There's an old Jewish proverb which says, Deborah was more a man than all the men of Israel. 
And they say the same of Mrs. Meir today, of course. Um, the strongest man in the Israeli cabinet is Mrs. Meir. Um, I mean, when uh, uh, there are weak men or no men available, I think God does a remarkable thing. But I must say that I don't think this whole, I will say this in faithfulness, I don't think this wholly holds water. Because some of these uh, ladies, like Mrs. Penn Lewis, came at a point when there were some extraordinary men teachers as well. A.J. Gordon, A.T. Pearson, A.B. Simpson, uh, Spurgeon, um, uh, just a few, Reuben Torrey. Um, I could go through a whole list of people. We had to say that in church life, one thing may hold differently to what has gone wrong, generally speaking, in Christendom. Um, I would certainly say that if a woman is in the field and there's no one else to teach, she's got to teach. There's no other real answer uh, there. Is there a difference, the second question, is there a difference between teaching and preaching? Yes, of course there's a difference between teaching and preaching. Preaching is really the um, proclamation of the word of God. And generally speaking, it's prophetic in the sense that God is speaking a particular word to a particular situation at a given time. Whereas teaching is the definition and explanation of principles and so on, and that is in one sense static. It, it is always the same. You understand? So there is a difference between preaching and teaching. Now, I, I expect that the person had in their mind, uh, well, could a woman preach and perhaps not teach? Uh, uh, probably. I wonder whether a woman now and again can teach also, providing she is, it's surely the spirit in which she teaches. Now, this is one thing that Mrs. Penn Lewis was marvelous at. The spirit in which she uh, taught, she never, ever used up authority and never ever uh, 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 sort of lorded it over men in any way at all. And there's a, a, a point I think uh, to make. Uh, how far is the silence on the part of women to be maintained? Uh, does 1 Corinthians 11.5 imply that women could prophesy and pray publicly? Uh, does it mean that other than these two activities, women uh, should not contribute otherwise, like standing up in the Sunday morning service, reading from the scriptures and elaborating thereafter? No, not at all. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the sister providing she's really got something on her heart, not only reading the word of God, but uh, 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 saying something from it, especially if it's in testimony or in the way of exhortation, just simple, a simple word, providing you have got a voice that's able to do it. I mean, if some sister's going to stand, maybe none of us are going to get anything at all. Um, personally, um, I think, that, as I've already said, that sisters have, have a, every right to contribute under the government of the Holy Spirit. What do we mean by elaborating? Huh. If we mean authoritative teaching, I would say I would be careful. If we mean testimony on a passage, what it's meant to mean, what I've learned, I've heard many sisters speak, and that's been a great blessing. 
I can't see there's anything wrong there. The scripture speaks of the priesthood of all believers. In the open time, can a sister only contribute in praise, suggesting a hymn, speaking in a tongue, interpretation of prophecy, and or giving a testimony? Can she not also stand up and give a contribution from the word of God, expound a passage, give an exhortation, etc.? If she feels led of God to do so, if not, why not? Well, I think I've answered that partly. I would only just say this. I don't think that a sister should expound a passage. That is teaching. And I think there is this sensitive, delicate difference in um, testifying to what it's meant to you, a revelation, as it says in Scripture, that is, God has given you a revelation in your own experience of something, and you're sharing it, or even exhortation uh, and actual teaching. Uh, if in an open time a sister shares something from the Word and halfway through begins to teach, should she be stopped? Poor girl. Um, well, I would say this. It's a question of who it is. I know that sounds dreadfully subjective, but I would say... It's a question of, I mean, when a person's doing something and they're honestly not aware, sometimes it's best to keep quiet. God teaches us. This is the whole value of the open time. We do things, we do something, and afterwards we have a bad time and we're corrected. We get uneven keel. In the end, we all know what's right, what is right and wrong. And one of the wonderful things about open times is this is where we learn. We all sense, even when someone's making a mistake, we know they're making a mistake. We can't help loving them. Provided they don't go on for half an hour, maybe. <laughs> um, if, they, if they make it in a short time and sit down, we love them. And we think, well, all right, they'll learn, they'll learn. Now, if the same person does it three, four, five, six times, then there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And maybe they'd have to be privately spoken to. Um, I wouldn't say that, quite honestly, you should stop someone unless it is blatant, there's some, some wrong spirit in it. Um, please, could you define the ministry of the word in regard to sisters? What is the practical application of this? Um, the ministry of the word in regard to... Well, I think, we'll go, again, we've nearly answered that question. You see, I don't think it is teaching. It can be testimony, it may be based in the Word of God, it can be revelation, an understanding of something in the Word of God that's come to you by the Spirit. It can be exhortation, uh, it can be just the reading of a word that God has given you. I would say that that is, on the whole, the, min the ministry of the Word. What is the way for a sister to share from the Word? Does God never give a sister a teaching? Well, I think I would say, quite honestly, no. Uh, except in extraordinary circumstances. Um, what about a woman teaching women, then? Is, is this allowed? Of course it's allowed. <laughs> in some parts of the world, no one else is allowed to get near the women uh, but the women. Of course it's allowed. Uh, if yes, then surely she needs as much training in the ministering of the Lord's word as a brother. I quite agree, but I don't know how we're going to fit it in. <laughs> um, brothers often meet together for times of counsel, prayer. Why are the sisters not so encouraged? Now, I must say this question. In two years, the brothers have met uh, together once, especially as brothers. That was the other week. In two whole years. Now, do, do, do they mean by this question in the morning before the time? But most sisters are busy doing things in home and so on, and our thought in that time is just literally to find the Lord's way for the opening of the time, which we believe to be a brother's contribution. 
and the actual commencement of the time, because it's the question of leadership. Um, so that, it seems to me, is the only problem. The only other thing I can think of is the ministry of the, wor of the word in which we've had these times for brothers alone. But you see, now here to me is this battle of the sexes. Because in two whole years we have only had one time, and yet for my question I would understand from this, that they often meet together for times of counsel and prayer. Well, the elders do, but I've never... If anyone can correct me on this and say you have met more than uh, this one time, I'd be interested. But you see, this is where the devil breathes things into people's hearts. Uh, what is the place and point of a woman's meeting? Well, <laughs> place and point of a woman's meeting. I imagine that it is in order to help and encourage one another. Um... <laughs> Is there a place for the women to meet only? Well, I, I don't know. Sometimes I have felt this. I know that in certain cases, women meeting together, it's just become a trouble. Just like the choir. Um, the FB Meyer said, if you find the devil anywhere in a church, you'll find him in the choir. Um, next to the choir, it's probably the women's meeting. Um, but on the other hand, don't take that too seriously. Um, uh, uh, on the other hand, I must say this, that I think that there are times when particularly married sisters who can't get out to everything could benefit by really getting together for fellowship in prayer. And I, once or twice, can't understand why some of the married sisters don't just get together, not just to gossip, but really to pray together and to share experience together uh, in the Lord. The great thing about the church is never on the whole to divide ourselves by any natural division. That's why we're very careful about young people's meetings. And so only where it is absolutely necessary and the end is to build us all together, not get us to grow apart, but to build us together. So if there's a place for the young people to come together in order to help them to be integrated into the church, there's a place for it. If there's a place for the sisters to get together in order to be integrated into the whole, there is a place for it. But if it's just a little cancerous growth that's going to draw into itself life away from the whole, then it's wrong. Um, is a meeting of women able to meet on church ground? Of course they can. Um, uh, I don't quite understand... Uh, the problem there, unless they feel that only with the men present could it be the church. I mean, if women are meeting together simply in, in Christ, on the ground of being believers in the area, they are, of course, in that sense, on church ground. Uh, then what practical points would you advise for an all-sisters meeting? <laughs> well, I don't know, but I would say, keep your eyes on the Lord. <laughs> Now, some good practical questions. Why are the brothers usually asked to lead the prayer on Thursday evenings before the Bible study? And is it therefore right to assume that the sisters should not take part? Good question. Um, now, why? Well, now, the reason we ask the brothers so often, not always, you will note, not always, but often, is simply because we need clear, strong prayer and absolutely to the point. We can only ask for two or three. And generally speaking, we felt it's right on certain occasions when we know there's a big 
battle on and so on, just to ask, could two or three brothers lead us to the throne of grace? That's the only reason behind it. It's just uh, that we may be definite, clear, and right to the point. Um, I would quite honestly say not always. Uh, I know that sounds dreadful to put it like that. I think that sometimes the women are uh, more intuitive and understand far more. But when it comes to actual really getting down to this, not always. And that's to show when we've opened it. You see, one of the reasons I've gone back to the question of asking brothers is that when we opened it to all, we had a number of things that I don't feel were such good contributions. But I, I'm stand to be corrected. I mean, I know, you know, if, if there are, if it's best just to throw it wide open, say, let's have prayer. But it was really mostly that, I think. Um, to what extent should brothers lead a meeting and sisters be led? For example, why shouldn't a sister be the first to pray in the prayer meeting or the first to move on to a fresh topic? And why does a brother always open the open time? If, in fact, it is, generally speaking, not correct for a sister to open a prayer time, can it not be equally incorrect for a brother, young in the faith, to do so? Perfectly right. That's perfectly right. Um, uh, we don't... Uh, the time in the, in a, on a Sunday morning would not normally be opened by a brother, young, in the Lord. Um, on the question of leading on a fresh topic, I think sisters have as much right to bring in a fresh topic, a new turn, in our time of prayer as any brother. I don't think myself that uh, there's anything there. But I'm, I would say that the opening of a time, uh, whether it's prayer or whether it's the big open time on Sunday, I would have felt was uh, um, uh, one of the more responsible brothers uh, ministry. And, uh, well, we, we could try it one day and see what happens. But I think that most of you sisters uh, would feel very uncomfortable uh, if a sister opened uh, the time. I remember some while ago when we talked about having ladies stewarding. And I never said stewarding. All I said was to have one sister at each meeting available to look after uh, um, people who are not cared for. But uh, there was a terrific um, humming and hawing from the sisters. Well, I don't know. Um, when there are brothers present, but they do not take any definite lead or they are slow to do so, be it in arranging gatherings, guiding the meeting, preaching, etc., what should the sisters do? Give them a kick. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, I'd give them a good kick. And that's the influence sisters can have. When the men are really slow, I don't mean that in the wrong way, you can give them a kick and still be subject. <laughs> it's absolutely true, and I mean it. You can, you can give them a spiritual kick. Um, what I mean is this. <clears throat> this is the problem. Now, this is the problem. This is where sisters often have spiritual intuition and spiritual perception far ahead of the brothers. They see the way that, that we ought to be going. They see what the Lord wants, and they're so tired of waiting for the lumbering brothers to really get going and, and come to it. Now, this is where we need each other. Because again and again, when women race ahead, in the end, there's unhappiness. Amongst the women. Not the brothers, just, but the women. And that's where we need the ballast, not blast, but ballast of the brothers. 
they sort of act as a kind of anchor, as a kind of stabiliser in a sense. And I would say in this connection, I, I well understand this problem here, um, that there are times when you feel, why don't they do it? Well, go and speak to them. Go and speak to them. Don't just stay there sort of um, uh, dithering in the background. And if necessary, give them a good, uh, as I say, a good spiritual kick. Don't be afraid. It's not a question of not being uh, under authority. You, you, you're a, a sister in the law. You're a member of the body. You have a perfect right to say, look here, I think so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so. Not in a wrong way. That's what I mean by a good spiritual kick. Uh, as the sisters appear to remain in the background, it is easy not to accept any responsibility within the church. Do we have any specific responsibilities? If so, what are they? Now, I take note of this. Do we have any specific responsibilities? Yes, I think so. I think the sisters have specific responsibility in prayer. And the Apostle Paul actually says this in 1 Timothy about widows. He says, let them give themselves to prayer. <coughs> Um, therefore, that's one thing, uh, uh, sister. I believe the sisters have very real um, uh, responsibility in fellowship. Men are often inarticulate, uh, strangely enough, and uh, find it hard sometimes to communicate. And I think the sisters are often the ones who, instead of uh, uh, throwing grit in the machine or a spanner into the works, can in fact oil things and help very greatly. I believe particularly in worship, the sisters have a great contribution to make in warmth and spontaneity, um, which often men have not got. There are many other ways, I think, in which women have specific responsibilities, uh, teaching the young, looking after the young, and so many other ways uh, in which it seems to me, apart, may I say, from all those uh, contributions which both brothers and sisters alike can make. Um, do the sisters have a unique function, spiritually that is, in the life of the church? For example, what difference would it really make if there were no sisters present at the gatherings? Do sisters simply because they are women and not men have a spiritual contribution to make which is unique, be it in a particular function or in their way of functioning? Uh, that is, doing, do the same things as the brothers, but in a different way. Well, I, that's a very good uh, question. It was not given by a sister. Uh, it was given by a brother. But I think that that is a very good question, really. Uh, and this, I think that, in fact, uh, sisters uh, have got, uh, in the life of the church, a quite unique place. And um, uh, he says, what difference would it really make if there were no sisters present? A vast difference. An absolutely vast difference. Why does it make a vast difference? Because men were never meant to be alone. Any more than women were meant to be alone. That's why. In other words, if we have an all-male meeting forever, we have only half of a human being. Now think about that, and you'll, see, you'll begin to understand. We need each other. Uh, uh, in our whole way of looking at things. And then he says here, do sisters simply because they're women and not men have a spiritual contribution to make, which is unique, be it in a particular function or in their way of functioning? Yes, very definitely. I think that the sister, uh, in her whole way of approach and so on, has a way, uh, has a manner of functioning and so on, which is a complement to the men. And I think that, again, is um, important. Uh, 
can sisters avoid the feeling of being second-class citizens when they're constantly being encouraged to participate in hospitality, cleaning the kitchen, weeding the garden, but appear to have no part in decision-making or public ministry of the word? This is a wonderful question, I must say. Now, uh, what I would say straight away on this is that I cannot recall sisters being asked to weed um, or uh, uh, just these things, cleaning and so on. I mean, it's never at any time in the whole history of the company have we actually said, will you sisters please be ready to weed or will any of you sisters who are ready to do it please give your names? And this is the war again, the war of the sexes, because in fact we always say, are there any people ready? And in fact we get as many brothers often uh, uh, offering, for instance, to help in the garden and other things as sisters. Now, isn't this incredible? And this is this kind of idea that women are skivvies and that men are made... But is it not like the colour bar, sometimes a chip on the shoulder? I just wonder uh, whether it cannot be that way. And then we, if only we could just be human beings, just be in Christ, just relax. I don't understand it. Now, Peter had no part in decision-making. Now, I, I just want to underline that point. Where do the women have no part in decision-making? If they don't, it's their fault. All the decisions are taken, generally speaking, after prayer and after we've asked anyone who's got any feeling about a matter to come forward, either for or against. The brothers then finally make the decision on that basis of the mind of God as found in the church. Now I can tell you from our experience that again and again and again and again it has been sisters who having come forward with some thought about something have had the key to a whole situation. I have never known any time in the history of the company where the women in this company have not been in on the decision making. If they mean, should we have elderesses, uh, and that's the thing that's worrying them, that there are no elderesses, I can only say the word of God doesn't say there can be any elderesses. And that's all. But on the decision-making thing, now here again is the age-old trouble of allowing the enemy, I think, to get warped. Are sisters really only necessary for doing the sort of tasks that brothers don't like doing? <laughs> for example, cooking meals, making tea, cleaning the house, etc. Or is it only because the sisters are so much better at doing these things in comparison <laughs> to the brothers? <laughs> well, I don't know what to say in answer to that question. I must say, I, I don't think the sisters are just necessary doing that. But it's a lovely thing. Oh, if we could only return to some of those more simple approach to these things in the days when, when a woman was glad to be a real woman and a man was glad to be a real man. I think there's something healthy and orderly and lovely about the whole thing. Who wants to marry either a man who's half a woman or a woman who's half a man? God preserve us. So I would say, well, I don't know, really. I mean, if sisters can... I know some of the brothers who can cook marvellous meals. I know some of the sisters who can't cook marvellous <laughs> <laughs> And I will not venture into, further into that matter. Now, let's just see if there are some other... 
It has been said that women are more prone to deception than men. Does this mean that a sister's contribution or ideas or burdens are always going to be received with reservations? Would this kind of thing not discourage sisters and make them feel anything that they've, they have to say or contribute is, is of little value? Because really it's the brothers who are important. By the way, this is a brother who's asked this question. Um, well, I would say... Um, Yes, I think that sisters are more prone to deception on the whole than brothers. Now, you will say straight away, well, now that's wrong. You know, that, now that is the gross kind of uh, misconception that you men have got of women. But you see, the woman is, there's no doubt about it, an intuitive creature. Um, if we were to take the ratio of intuition of women to men, we would find that it's colossally high amongst women as compared with men. And furthermore, those men who've got natural intuition are, have often got feminine streak. Now, I don't want to upset any of the brothers here, um, but, I mean, that is, I'm afraid, true. The fact of the matter is that intuition, on the whole, is very much true, and it is just because of that that you get marvellous women mediums, and poor, on the whole, not many men mediums. In all these weird sects, it is women who have been the initiator of them, a whole lot of them. We could go through a whole great gamut of them. This is because women are, on the whole, um, uh, intuitive, and therefore they're more open to, the, uh, to another world. And uh, it, the, the Apostle Paul, I might say, says this. The woman was first deceived, and says, therefore, women must be careful of this matter and must remain covered. Now, you can argue and argue and argue along that line, but the fact remains that people who argue there are in the danger themselves of getting deceived. Because it is, after all, the word of God. Nevertheless, I think we ought to be careful, quite frankly, uh, as the questioner says, that in saying that, we don't sort of, sisters don't feel, oh, dear, 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 well, then it's no good me making any contribution. I mean, there's no reason for that at all. The whole point is to watch order. If we watch the question of order uh, in function and so on, we shall be safe. And therefore the sisters can contribute as freely and as spontaneously as they wish under the government of the Spirit of God. Once you're under the government of the Spirit of God, you're safe. A man can be just as easily deceived if he gets outside of the Lord, only perhaps in a different way. Um... What others have we got here? What advice would you give to married sisters with children whose husbands have a definite ministry or position which is vital to the life of the church? Should the husband and wife come to the meetings alternately or should the sister stay at home with the children and let the husband fulfil his ministry and function in the church? That's a good question and a difficult one, I think, to answer. I would say, quite honestly, very much depends upon the sister. That's why I say that I think sisters ought to rule their household. Uh, properly. And again, it's got to be in fellowship, hasn't it? Uh, with uh, uh, the two, two together, and what exactly happens. I don't think it would be at all right for uh, um, the wife of a brother who's got some definite responsibility to be forever barred from coming to gatherings uh, because they've got a young family. Um, but I, on the other hand, I must say, I think that there ought to be some kind of... Um, uh, real uh, fellowship in the matter 
sometimes I feel now and again that uh, perhaps a brother who has a real ministry can be limited in a wrong way, and whether this is a failing on the part of the church as a whole, who, where there are people who have a ministry, ought to try and help uh, in uh, uh, babysitting, I don't know. Uh, I've been too clear on that question. Um, some brothers do uh, seem to think that they can tell a sister what to do just because they're brothers. What should a sister do if some brother comes and starts to lay down the law? Tell him where to go, ignore him, <laughs> pray for him, or what? Well, I think this is just where you need the cross to work. Um, I quite agree that it's very difficult for a sister if uh, there's someone uh, who's uh, uh, quite young uh, in age uh, sort of just laying down the law to you simply because he's a brother and you're a sister. This is the kind of misconception, the misunderstanding that grows out of this whole matter. Uh, it's quite wrong. Tell him where to go. I think quite a few do. Um, I don't know whether that's really the right thing. Um, uh, I would say that really the answer is to look to the Lord for real grace, because in the end, if you show real love and grace, I think you'll find that in the end that young brother might learn. Um, would it not be a help to have a sister available, to be called in to help if necessary, that is, on Monday evenings with the elders? I'm thinking particularly of these sisters greatly gifted in wisdom and discernment. Well, now, this is a rather interesting question because once or twice when we've had a sister, I've particularly asked whether she would like someone to be present, and I have been very, very surprised to find that in every case bar one, they've said no. They would much prefer not to have a sister present. Um, I personally think that in this matter, uh, generally speaking, when you're going to the elders with a problem, you are not going to men, you are going really to ask for counsel from the Lord in, the tr in trusting that the Spirit of God will manifest himself through those brethren. And this is the whole mistaken conception some people have got of eldership, that these men are great men in themselves, marvellous men in themselves, they're not. They're dependent, men dependent on the Lord, through whom the Holy Spirit can manifest himself in wisdom or knowledge or faith or in some other discernment, in some way that could help in this problem. In these ways, I'm not sure that it really needs uh, a sister to be present. There are occasions, however, when there have been delicate matters, particularly, shall we say, feminine matters, uh, where it, it is not so easy, perhaps, to bring the whole thing up in front of brothers. At such times, it might be easier uh, to ask either a sister to be present if the person wants it. Brothers have never insisted on seeing any sister uh, on her own uh, about anything. Anyone who wants to, who's afraid, can always bring someone with them or bring two with them if they want, uh, if they feel support uh, in that matter. But I think on the matter of actual help and so on, generally speaking, we're looking to the Lord uh, to uh, manifest himself. Now, um, uh, someone says about wearing a hat, should she wear it only at some meetings, for example, prayer meeting and not say to Bible study? Is there a place for putting a hat on at some point in the meeting? For example, the Lord's table, taking it off uh, afterwards. Well, 
I personally believe that the, the question where it says a woman, uh, when she prays or preaches, should have her head covered is not just and only a matter of contribution. I believe, as I think most of you know, uh, uh, that it is a testimony. And that it is a testimony to the difference uh, there is, uh, not between men and women, but the wonderful uh, nature of the church being in subjection and hid and covered in Christ. Therefore, I would say, once you see that as a testimony, I think it would help you very greatly when you do it. Now, others will say, oh, but it's an old-fashioned idea. I'm not so sure. When the Apostle Paul said, for the angel's sake, there may be there a whole realm that just because we live in the 20th century uh, 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 could well... Uh, the whole realm of mysterious meaning, mm -hmm. just because we live in the 20th century, doesn't mean that it doesn't still exist. I will take very careful note of that. On the other hand, I must say, if you don't see the truth of it, if you don't see it, what's the point of wearing something on your head? Uh, quite honestly, um, there's no point. Then other people feel that to jam some kind of uh, dowdy old hat on uh, and so on in order to be covered um, is a kind of spiritual exercise. I don't think so at all. Um, uh, you don't have to go in for ascot-type hats, uh, sweeping everyone uh, away, as it were, as you come along. But I must say, that it's, to me, it's just a sign. And I always think that even people who just have a chiffon scarf or something that they put over their head or hair is as much testimony as anything else. I think it's a question of testimony. When sisters go to places where it's not usually the practice to have a head covering, should they adapt to the sisters there and wear no head covering? Or should they wear a head covering and possibly cause embarrassment or raise an issue? Now, that's a good question. Should you ever compromise on anything God has shown you? That's the answer to that question. I would say if God has shown you something, put something on your head. It may, it may be that that will cause someone else to ask. <laughs> and so on. Not in a, in a superior way, but uh, because it is so important. I can't think of any subject upon which there's been more uncovering uh, than this matter. And especially, by, I might say, in this new moving of the spirit, where this thing of taking all this off has come, much counterfeit and mixture has come in. Um, what real difference does wearing a hat make to a sister when she prays or prophesies? And is this true privately in the home as well as the church gatherings? Well, I think we've answered that. Um, I don't believe it is to do uh, with home. You know, the exclusives always used to believe that this was, of course, at home. And therefore, I remember uh, seeing ladies cooking at the stoves with a hat on. And I remember my sister staying with some at Mavagissi, where, in fact, when they went down to the sea, they had a hat all the way down into the sea. And the reason when my dear sister asked, and she will bear witness to this, um, they told her, well, you might pray at any time. <laughs> so you never know when you might have communion with the Lord so you should have something on your head well I mean of course I don't believe it refers to private prayer at all it is, it is church prayer corporate prayer that that refers to well now I, I, I'm sure look how time really has gone of all these many many questions um, one last one here it is it was stated last night that sisters were guilty of not going out to visitors or welcoming them into our midst. Is this because there are twice as many sisters in the company as there are brothers, and so they hardly have the chance to get to know each other, and are trying to catch up with the sisters who've been coming for a while?
Would it not be a good idea to have a sister's meeting or something of the sort where sisters could really get to know each other? I would have thought if there were twice as many sisters as there are brothers, it ought to work the opposite way, that really they ought to go, that these strangers, these ladies who've been in who, you know, are strangers, ought to really be, uh, to be contacted and spoken to and welcomed. Um, but uh, one thing I'm quite sure, uh, the sisters really do have a vital and valuable contribution to make in the life of the church. And I believe that the enemy's objective is to drive the sisters into a false position. This is where we need the cross, that we may come to understand ourselves and to understand our function, to understand our position, and may, as the Apostle Paul once said, know our measure. Therein lies, sounds old-fashioned, but therein lies peace and joy and a very, very great sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. When we get out of our province, whatever it is, beyond our measure, we feel disorder, we feel death, we feel oppression, we feel unhappiness, we feel a kind of darkness coming on. May God help us then, uh, so that there's no, we, we can see the equality of all in Christ and yet see the difference in function that there is and together complement each other in the whole life of the church in such a way that the body builds itself up in love. Our Lord, this has again been a long evening, there's been much said and only thou, Lord, canst translate the whole into flesh and blood action. We pray that thou wilt do it, Lord. We pray that thou wilt take what is truth and liberate us by it. Deliver us from all those inhibitions or complexes or other things, Lord, that somehow frustrate thy purpose in our lives and in our life together. And may, Lord, in this company particularly, may there be a wonderful order both in the brothers and the sisters. May there be just a wonderful sense of a togetherness, a fullness, a complementing, that great sense, Lord, of the Lord's satisfaction and joy in the midst of his people. So, Lord, we pray by thy Spirit, teach us and instruct us. And we ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.